All right. A few times ago, I mentioned that I was at a conference in Boise, Idaho, put on by ConvertKit. And one of the serendipitous moments of that conference was that I was renting a house with three other guys. So we did the Airbnb thing. And on one of those nights, Stephen Worley from the podcast Life Skills That Matter said we need to, he created a meetup without really consulting me or I don't even know who he consulted, but he just put a meetup up. And so he and I went to Trader Joe's and bought a whole bunch of food and stuff. We had no idea if anyone was going to show up. And two people did, or no, three people did. And one of them was Michael Marvash, and he's here today. So Michael, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so we were sitting outside in the backyard while some people were in the hot tub and just sitting there talking. And well, I think I found out that you did frontline support for ConvertKit. And then we got to talking about podcasting somehow. Oh, Mike Vardy was there. Maybe we were talking about his podcast. I don't know. No, but the podcasting thing seemed to be a theme. Like everybody was thinking about it or had been doing it for a while. And so it was kind of a natural subject of conversation to arise. Right. And so somehow we ended up in this topic of nature and forests. And and by the way, Michael is, this is so fitting because you're in nature, you're down near the river, I think, your car is being worked on. We had planned this like two weeks ago. And we're like, so what? We're just going to do this anyway. So that's what's going yeah. on there if you hear it. Yeah. So my car was in the shop and uh, I just kind of walked down to the river. We have a, a beautiful green belt path uh, that runs for 25 miles along both sides of the river here in Boise. Um, and there's some forest in between the path and the river. And I just kind of went off the path and found some sand and sat down. And that's where I'm, <laughs> that's where I'm recording from. <laughs> now, what I learned when I was there in Boise is that there's a right and a wrong way to say Boise. I always thought it was Boise. Before I moved here, I too thought it was Boise and I never really made a conscious decision to start saying Boise, but I have, and that's the way we say it. You can see on t-shirts that you can get in stores here, B-O-Y-S-E-E, -E, because a lot of people are really insistent about it, but I don't get upset when someone says Boise. And I think there's kind of a metaphor. I loved how you say you're kind of off the path. So you've kind of <laughs> gone off the path. You have this podcast. Is it, you know, is it a public podcast or is it just one you did for yourself? It is a podcast that is released publicly, uh, and I'm kind of feeling my way through whether or not I want it to be for other people or for just me. I, I have actually set myself some goals over the next three months of trying to get some more listeners for this podcast, but it started out as a, a personal project, just a way to almost freeform record my thoughts on uh, existence and meaning and kind of some of the wisdom and knowledge that I feel like I have picked up over my life. When I feel like the special part of it was that you were going into the forest specifically to record it. And I think you should tell people what the name is so we can get you some more listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use this, uh, some of our conversation on this too. So, I mean, Take a step back and just to kind of contextualize this a little bit for, for your listeners. Um, my podcast is called Dead Man's Forest. And the reason it's called Dead Man's Forest is because I, earlier this year, went on a vision fast in Death Valley where I spent four days by myself in the desert not eating. And um, there was four days of preparation for this with a group and some guides, and there was four days of kind of reflecting and processing on the things that we experienced while we were in the desert by ourselves. Um, but, you know, that, that idea of kind of going off by yourself into the wilderness is a very ancient tradition that many cultures have, and it's just a way to, I think, to see yourself in the context of the the larger world that we sometimes lose sight of when we're surrounded by human society and civilization that makes us kind of feel like, you know, we're the most powerful things in the world. Um, and when you go out in the forest or in the desert, you, you can't help but lose sight of that because you are just a tiny, tiny piece of that enormous landscape. And by the way, I think that ties into the conversation that we may have about the redwoods later, but, um, back to dead man's forest, uh, one of the one of the dreams that I had when I was in the desert was of uh, 
of a dead man sitting in the middle of a wasteland of just this desolate landscape where, where nothing lived. Um, and he, he was sort of a, a professorial type. He almost looked like, like what I would imagine a, a Mr. Rogers type character would look like. And he, he had clearly been sitting there for a long time and the wind and the weather had worn his clothes away, but somehow out of this dead man's head and heart was growing this tiny, vibrant, beautiful living forest. And it was almost as if he, he was wearing this cardigan sweater and where you would expect to see his head. Instead, there was a forest. And I knew very quickly that this, this vision that I was seeing was a warning for me of the future. Someday I am going to die. And if I, and, and over the course of my life, I will have collected all of this wisdom and knowledge in my head and my heart as, as represented by the forest. And yet if I am too afraid or too selfish to try and share that with the world, then when I die, I just am sitting in this wasteland. And it was, I felt so strongly when I saw that vision that I cannot let this happen. I cannot let this happen. I cannot die in a wasteland. I want to die in a forest. I want to die where I have shared these, these thoughts and these experiences and the wisdom and the knowledge that I've gathered over my life. And I want other people to do that because we all have that. We all have these unique lessons, these tidbits of wisdom and knowledge that we've picked up based on our unique experiences. And I think those are worth sharing with the world. And that was the original impetus behind Dead Man's Forest. That's why it's named that way. Um, and I, and I realized after kind of dipping my toes into recording some of my thoughts on the subject that it was much easier to talk about the sorts of things that come out of that which are, you know, emotional, vulnerable, deep, uh, deep things inside of us. It was easier to talk about those things in that natural environment where I had originally had that vision. And so when I record Dead Man's Forest, I drive up into the mountains and I walk into the forest and I record and there's no recording studio and there's no complicated equipment and there's no, um, expectations that my environment is placing on me. I'm just there with the trees and with the birds and with the sun. Uh, I'm just a part of the landscape and it, it kind of lets me, um, let my guard down a little bit and open up and be a little more vulnerable with the thoughts that I share. Um, so yeah, you know, that's the, the story in as much of a nutshell as I have figured out how to tell it. And what I'm trying to figure out with the podcast right now is how do I make this more of a conversation? How do I bring in more voices and how do I, you know, share that with more people? I think you're totally onto something. I, I got an email from someone that was listening to my podcast a little bit ago and they were thanking me for just the thoughts that I share and the things that they learn. And I thought, you know, in some ways, and maybe this is where you're headed too. I think I like to think that I have, you know, interesting conversations with the most interesting people that you've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really amazing to me that most of the people that I have on my podcast, most of the people have not heard of, and yet I'm learning something from talking to them. And it seems like listeners are too. So I think you're totally onto something. Well, it's good to hear you say that. Cause I think whenever you start a new endeavor, you're kind of, forging your way on a path that nobody's ever gone down before. And you have no idea if it's leading anywhere. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> which is kind of uh, like even a metaphor for the conversation that you and I are having. So we're sitting at this picnic table or this outdoor table in Boise and we get to talk about podcasts. You're telling me about yours. You're asking me some questions about production and stuff. And it comes out that you're taking a trip to the Redwoods in California. Yeah. Yeah, I just did that earlier in August. And I have just gotten back two weeks, uh, three weeks before that. I had been in the Redwoods. I was at Jedediah State Park. and Which is exactly where we stayed. Yeah, it's like so amazing. So here I am having this conversation with a total stranger about like, like really real life stuff. You mentioned you're going on this trip. We're talking about nature. And I'm I'm totally curious because so, so I because there's this grove of trees 
in Jedediah Smith across this river. I don't remember the name of the river, but there's a little bridge that goes across the river at certain times of the year. Did you know that, by the way, that that bridge across the river from the campground is only there after a certain point when the river's gone down enough? Uh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because it was kind of a um, her it's feature. A little, yeah, <laughs> it's a little. Yeah, and without that bridge, you have to drive there, which is a real hassle. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so the accessibility of that grove, though, or the, the importance to me was I could walk there anytime I wanted to. And I went there two or three times. And when I entered that space, there was, I'm kind of finding my way spiritually. I have a past from Christianity and not that, like, totally sticking the way it did for a lot of people that I know. And so I'm kind of hanging onto this kind of spirituality stuff somewhat loosely right now. But I found that when I entered that grove of trees, there was a certain energy. There was something going on there that I could not put my finger on. And I was super curious to talk to you to see if you had any of those same sensations. So we agreed that we would stay in touch and we would talk after you went. So that's why we're here today. So I'm curious what... What happened when you went there? Did anything happen for you? Well, let me think, because I, I had some thoughts based on what you were saying about how I felt about that, but let me try and set those aside for now. Speaking specifically about Stout Grove, which is the one across the river from the campground that we're talking about, when you approach it, you're walking along the river, you have to cross a little stream that flows into the river, and then you're walking into a a forest that seems like a normal forest. You know, the trees are not excessively huge. There's, you know, regular sized trees and some logs and rocks and water. And you walk up the path, oh, not far, just a hundred feet. And all of a sudden there's a redwood and it's almost like it's surrounded by these smaller trees. And it seemed to me like... (laughs) It seemed to me like someone had had put it there and surrounded it with all those other trees just to emphasize the difference in size between the two things. It almost seemed like it was a staged little entrance to this grove. Because um, these trees are ginormous. Ginormous. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to tell people how big these trees are. Because the first night when we got into camp before we had seen any of the real big redwoods that like there are big trees at Jedediah Smith. Um, we were sitting there at our campsite and it, and the sun had gone down. So you could just kind of see the, the, the outline of the trees against the, you know, slightly, slightly illuminated sky of the stars. And my friend Nicole was looking up and she was like, I can't really tell if these trees are big or not. (laughs) And, uh, I was looking up and I didn't understand what she meant at first, but thinking back, I think I do because, you know, I'm sitting in the forest right now and I mean, here's a tree right in front of me and I, it's, it's big enough that I couldn't put my arms all the way around it. And it's, I don't know, 40 feet tall, maybe it's a, like, it's a good sized tree. It's a big tree. Um, the trees in that campground were, I don't know, 10 times as big around as this thing. And probably three times as tall, but they're all that big. So you don't really have any, anything to compare them to. You're, you're just sitting in a forest. Um, but they're enormous. And, and then you take those trees in the campground and you walk across the river of Stout Grove. And the trees there are probably <laughs> three times as big as those trees. <laughs> I love how you're painting the, the picture and the perspective. Yeah. It's hard to describe. It's hard to imagine how big the trees are. I mean, there there are trees that are fallen down and have probably been fallen down for hundreds of years in this grove. And they're they're taller than you are lying on their side. Like you have to climb up the side of this fallen down tree in order to get on top of it. And and at that point you're, you know, ten feet off the ground. Um it's really it's really unbelievable. But yeah, you know, walking into Stout Grove, I felt like there was this almost entrance way. And then you kind of walk in and you see these bigger trees and bigger trees and bigger trees. And they have like a little platform that they've built up to, I think, the biggest one there. 
the transition is slow from kind of what feels like a regular forest to what feels like this enormous ancient forest. And so it's what I was thinking about earlier as you were talking is I was like, I think walking in, in Stout Grove evokes a similar feeling of awe as going into a massive cathedral does in that it just feels like ethereal and not quite real and like it just makes you think about things that are bigger than yourself and bigger than the thoughts that you think on an everyday basis and yet because walking in a, into a cathedral is you go from outside through the doors and then you're inside bang like that Stout Grove was like a gradual passing through this and you're walking in these paths. And I think it took me five or 10 minutes of kind of just looking around before, before I realized what an amazingly magical place it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was my experience. And we, you know, I think we spent half an hour there and I wish that I would have gone back multiple times. Like, like you had, um, but it was kind of one of the last things that we did while we were there. So I don't know, like what, what was your experience like? No, I, well, I love that. I love the word, that one word I did want to call out that you mentioned was awe. Yeah. Uh, like awe. And then yes, the, that it's kind of beyond us, which was, yeah, that that was the sense I had was the sense of, yeah, I don't know. There, it, I guess the best way I could describe it is it felt like there was something beyond me, but it felt like there was a, and I'm not very woo woo, but it felt like there was like a spiritual force there. It felt like there was something else was going on there than just me and trees and sun and air. There was something going, something else going on. And I don't normally have that sensation, but I had that sensation there. Something else. Okay, that's a that's a hmm, that's an interesting way of putting it. Can you try and feel your way through that a little more? Like, what is that? What was the shape of it? It felt like there was a presence, like a presence or a. It was something that I couldn't. Like it was something that I couldn't see. Hmm. And it was something that I couldn't explain, but I could feel it. Like I could feel something. It's kind of, I guess maybe the best example would be, it's kind of like when you're home alone. Or I'm sorry. It's like when you come home and someone else is home and they're in the house somewhere. And you may know that they're there or they're not, but you just kind of sense that someone is here. Okay. It was that kind of sensation. But it seemed weird to me because it's like, well, I'm just... Just, <laughs> I'm just amongst these big trees in this forest, but I'm feeling something like this, and I don't normally feel things like this. Right. I hadn't thought about it exactly that way, like there's someone else in the room. I think the way that I would ex- describe that feeling, and it's similar to the feeling that I had when I was in the desert, is that we spend most of our days looking at the world around us from our own perspective and through our own eyes. And when we find ourselves in an environment where we cannot help but see that we're just this tiny little thing, you know, whether that be on the side of a mountain in Death Valley or standing next to these massive trees in Stout Grove, we were almost able to like step outside of ourselves and see I'm not the center of this. Like I feel like I am most of the time. I'm just one piece of this way bigger thing. And so maybe it's like feeling that bigger thing, like, like sensing it almost, almost being able to take the perspective of, what is one of these trees experiences like, or, you know, what's this mountains experience like insofar as those things can have an experience. We don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, that's, I think that's how I came at it is like, 
you know, we talk about all the time taking per, taking someone else's perspective. This is maybe a case of taking some other things perspective. I don't know. That's how I would have described it, though. Say more about your experience in the desert in terms of like, so four days by yourself. Yeah. And like, do you have a tent? Do you have any shelter? Like (laughs) paint the picture. It's hard to talk about the four days without talking about what we did to prepare for it. Mm. The idea of the ceremony that I participated in was that when you depart from the group camp for your four days alone fasting, um, you are in a sense leaving the physical world and becoming spirit. And so during that four days, you are, you are, you are imagined to be kind of in your own special world where I'm going to, get up (laughs) um so and and the reason for that i think is because the lessons that you learn the things that you experience and observe about yourself and about the world around you during those four days are uniquely yours like you are the um the witness i think to all of the things that happened during that time. And we call that the threshold. So we cross over the threshold into that, that world for those four days. And then when we return, we cross back over the threshold. Um, and you know, I, I, there are, there are parts of me that are not, that like you are not super woo woo. (laughs) Um, and yet what I discovered there is that putting myself in that environment for that period of time um, allowed me to kind of let go of my empirical, scientific, rational mind a little bit and just experience things a little more. Um, and, you know, I can certainly tell you what happened. when I was there on the side of the mountain, you know, like we kind of put our big backpack on and carried our five gallons of water out the day before. Um, and so on the, on the morning of the first day, we simply packed out all our camping stuff and and we didn't have a tent. It was just a, a sleeping pad and blankets. Um, and whatever kind of ceremonial objects, um, musical instruments or, you know, uh, objects that represented people in our lives that, that we wanted to, to reflect on while we were out there, just that. Um, and we knew, you know, I knew where I was going. I had kind of scoped that place out in the days leading up to it. And so I, you know, I just hiked to my place and set up my camp and, and, uh, four days by yourself is a lot of just sitting. (laughs) It's a lot of sitting and watching the world go by. Um, and our task while there was to kind of was just to try to be open to the uh, ceremonies that would arise. You know, if you if you had an urge to to do something or to um, think something or to sing a song or to go for a walk, just to to um, what's the word I'm looking for to acknowledge those and to, to just kind of let them take their course. So an example of that is, um, while I was out there, I, I reflected that I, I don't think I was as, what was it exactly? I, I have this all written down in my journal, of course. Um, I didn't think that I loved enough, loved enough other people. I didn't think there were very many people in my life that I loved. Uh, And I wonder if I was too guarded with, with opening myself emotionally to that. Um, And so as I was, 
thinking those thoughts, um, I noticed a, a rock lying nearby, a pretty big rock, you know, probably weighed 20 or 30 pounds. Um, and the mountain that I was camped out on the side of was, was made of this red rock. So the rock was large and red. And I was like, you know what? That reminds me of my heart. Um, and I picked up that rock and I said, I think what I need is a broken heart. And I carried it to, over to a cliff and I threw it, threw it off down onto it, some rocks below to try and break it. And like nothing happened. <laughs> just kind of like, boom, nothing happened. I, you know, I expected it to like crack in half or something revelatory. <laughs> and uh-huh. I would be like, oh, you know, this is my ceremony. Nothing happened. So I climbed down and I hauled it back up to the top of the cliff and I threw it down again. And <laughs> I probably did that 10 times and I was exhausted after that. And, you know, the only thing that had happened is like these tiny little chips had broken off of it. And so, and so I looked at that and I said, hmm, maybe my heart is stronger than I thought it was. <laughs> that's a beautiful metaphor. No, I'm off. I love metaphors. Yeah. And, and yeah. And that's, you know, I use this as an example of the kind of thing that happened out there is, is you have an idea about who you are and about your place in the world and about your relationship to other people and to things. And you figure out a way to manifest that, um, in an action and then you are able to find meaning in the things that happen that, that you know that you couldn't have anticipated or expected. Yeah, and I also hear there what what I would call from my coaching background is following your intuition. Like yeah. you had an intuitive sense of like this rock, and so instead of sitting there for an hour and saying, "Well, this is crazy," I'm thinking about this rock. You're just like, hmm, "Sensation of rock. Let me go explore this a little more." And you just do something. Yes. Take action. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 Yeah. Again, you might not know what the action is going to lead to or, and, and that's part of it. It's like a conversation between you and the landscape. Um, and you know, all of your, your memories and experiences and relationships that you've brought to the situation and all of the memories and experiences that the landscape has brought to the situation. You know, who knows where that rock came from? Who knows why it ended up where it was? Um, but I brought my past to it and the mountain brought its past to it. And that is what produced the, you know, the, the ceremony for me. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, preparing for the, the, the threshold time was a lot of, uh, reflection on why we were there and what we wanted to get out of it. And, and we were cautioned by our guides to not plan too many ceremonies you know, I didn't plan that one. I didn't, but I did go into it thinking, um, thinking that there were a lot of ways that I was not as good at being relational as I would like to be. Uh, and so that's kind of where that led me. Was there any time during this period where you like started to feel crazy? <laughs> I know like if I'm home by myself and my family's gone for several days, the first couple days are awesome. And then by the third day, like maybe in my mind has started to just kind of go to some strange places. I expected that to happen, but it didn't happen. Certainly not to the extent I expected. Um, Hmm. And I don't know if that's, I I, I don't know why that is. You know, it was, it was the only one of those sorts of things I've ever done. I may do one in the future. Um, It may be just because I'm fairly introverted and, pretty comfortable being by myself. Um, whereas I know other people aren't. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I thought that part of the experience would be the kind of, um, putting yourself in a very different mental state where your brain isn't really firing the way you're used to it firing because you haven't eaten for so many days. Um, but I didn't notice that happening. I noticed my thoughts slowing down, certainly. But, you know, I didn't have any experiences of uh, inanimate objects talking to me or <laughs> <laughs> of like moderate hallucinations that you sometimes hear people talk about um, in those kinds of experiences. So, h- however, uh, you know, when we all came back from our, from our threshold time and, and shared our stories, I know that uh, some of the other people who participated in the vision fast with me 
definitely had some pretty crazy experiences that they shared. So I think it's different for everybody. So if you were to challenge people out there to do something like this, what what might be some motivations or some reasons that people would want to consider doing an experience like this? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, all of the people who were there, who, you know, I've only met for 12 days of my life, but whom I love very much because of the experience that we shared. Um, all of the people that were there were there because they felt like they had a, approached a point in their life where something new was being demanded or expected of them. Uh, and, and, and we all get to these points in our life from time to time, these transition points where, you know, we're transitioning from being a child to being an adult. We're transitioning from being an adult to being an elder. Uh, we're transitioning from, you know, being unmarried to married, those kinds of things. And, and our modern culture doesn't give us a lot of representational ceremony to help us process our new identity, you know, as we, as we cross those, again, I think I'll use the word thresholds. Um, and so, you know, there were, there were people there who were, who had retired and who were struggling with, um, figuring out what to do with their lives at that point. And there were people there who uh, had conflict with their parents that they hadn't known how to resolve for years. And they kind of just said, all right, I need to, I need to figure out what to do about this self, about this, about this situation. Um, and there were people there who were, um, you know, unhappy in relationships or unhappy with their job or, but everybody, everybody there wanted to find a new way of being in the world. And I certainly don't think that's a constant thing that people feel all the time, but it's definitely something that we're all familiar with feeling from time to time. And that's, and that's why everybody went. It's, it's how do you, how do you learn how to do something or to be something that you've never done or been before? And I think, <laughs> well, and the irony of this whole process is you want to show up differently. You want to learn something that you've never done before. And to do that, you do nothing. Kind of. <laughs> like, in other words, you're just putting yourself into this situation with no instructions, except. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not no instructions, certainly. Three days of preparation. And, and the biggest part of it, perhaps, is creating a, an intention statement that you take with you when you cross over into the threshold. So, so everybody over the four days leading up to it, you know, we have a lot of conversations and we craft a statement of, and the statement is always, um, starts with a, I am a whatever. So, you know, people's statements may have been, I am an elder or I am an initiated man or those, those kinds of things. And the statement is always, what you are committing to yourself and to the group to be when you come back. Whoa, that's powerful. So you are stating not, this is what I want to become. (laughs) The thing that I want to become, I already am. Yes. Yes. And then you cross the threshold. You kind of go into that spirit realm and you uh, die to the person that you were. And when you return, you are reborn as the person that you have committed to be. Which, you know, even though it may be a a metaphorical or a spiritual death and rebirth, it's still a very powerfully emotional experience because, uh, you know, there there is a part of you that you are saying, this is no longer who I am. I'm dying to that person so that I can become the person that I, that I want to be. When I see that in my work, which is the most powerful stuff happens when either me or the people that I'm working with commit. Right. And we can do all this dancing around of like, well, I don't know, or I'll know it when I see it, or uh, I just need to be more courageous. But it's like, no, when you make that commitment, 
that's when everything. Yep. I want to say yep. that's when everything starts to change, but like that's that's kind of the genesis of okay, things are going to be different. I don't know how right. I'm going to get there. I don't know the exact steps. I might have a process. Yeah. Um, but there's a sense of clarity that comes when you commit, even if you don't really know. That's yeah. the other thing I guess I find too is a lot of like, well, you want to make this change. What? How would you do it? I don't know. Well, what if right. you just committed to the change? Yeah. And then when you commit to the change, suddenly you know, not all the right. steps, but you kind of know the next one. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, an example that I like to use is, is quitting smoking. I mean, I, I, I've never smoked, so perhaps this isn't a great personal example. But uh, if, if, if you're someone who smokes, you, you think of yourself and you think, I am a smoker. And then you can think, I want to quit smoking. But because you still still think of yourself as a smoker, every time you find yourself with a cigarette in your hand, you know, lit and smoking it, it's not a surprise to you, <laughs> right? Oh, because you have this internal identity of this is who I am as a smoker. But if you make the decision, as weird as it sounds, you make the decision to think of yourself as not a smoker. And that's a commitment, right? It's just a decision to be someone else. Um, be a new person, then all of a sudden, every time you find a cigarette in your hand, you're like, oh, wait, that's weird. I'm not a smoker. Why do I have this cigarette in my hand? So I, I feel like that's kind of what, what you're talking about. Um, like we decide who we are. And if we have decided with enough commitment and with enough clarity, then our behaviors start to reflect that. And another thing they brought up in the preparation time is that nobody is, is something all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well put, yeah. And to be, you know, I'm going to be a more brave person. Well, you're not going to be brave all the time because you're a human being. But, you know, as long as you see yourself and decide that, hey, I'm going to be courageous, uh, then you will tend to act that way if you've truly committed to it. I liked what you were saying about story. I recently read a book by Steve Chandler called The Story of You. And I mentioned this a few times in some other episodes, I think, as well. But it's this whole idea of what are we telling ourselves, either about yeah. ourselves or about right. our circumstances. Yeah. So the story I tell myself is that I have addictive behaviors and I'm not capable of stopping. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if you really want to lean into that story, it's not yeah. going to serve you. <laughs> If if your goal is to stop whatever that addictive behavior is, hanging on to that story, it's not going to help you. And I'm immediately thinking of some people that I know from recovery that would probably disagree with that. But I guess it's just kind of this overall essence of, uh, or maybe a better example is, I'm not a smart person. I'm a slow learner. Right. That might be true in some circumstances, but if you get really attached to this notion that you're slow, you're never going to sure. be fast. <laughs> So it's this idea of like, what's a different story you could tell yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And it gets hard in some, in some ways because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. We could, we could go down a, a very deep rabbit hole here about like, what's the difference between the things that we are in control of and the things that we aren't in control of about ourselves. How can you tell the difference between those two things? And I'm not an expert. I don't know any of those things. I just know what I've experienced, uh -huh. um, which is that, the first step in, in changing something in your life is, like you said, is, is making the commitment to be someone different and to accept the fact that the person that you were has to die so that the person who you are becoming can be born. And that is scary and emotional and difficult. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think that ceremony is meant to help us get through. I have some questions for you that Hit I want to ask at some point. So, you know, the, the, the idea of Dead Man's Forest is that each of us have unique wisdom and knowledge that, has, that is born of the experiences that we've had, which are different than the experiences that everyone else has had. And one of the struggles that I've been working through is, you know, what is that for me? And so I'm going to put to you, I'm just going to ask you that question, John, and like, let you figure out <laughs> how to answer it. Like, what would you say are 
a few of the biggest lessons that you've learned up to this point in your life? And how did you, how did you learn them? Oh, I love that. So some of this, so I mentioned Steve Chandler wrote this book, The Story of You. He has a program that I'm participating in that relates to building a coaching business, like um, building, nurturing clients and, and bringing them in. He has this whole belief, and I this really resonates with me, that the people that struggle the most have the most to teach, as opposed to someone that naturally learns something. And so like, I guess the example, but he uses a lot of some sports analogies where, you know, the person that's just a, the baseball player that's just a natural hitter is yeah. going to have a much more difficult time teaching someone else how to be an amazing hitter compared to the person that has struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and finally figured out the mechanics of being a great hitter. They're probably right. going to be able to teach better. So <laughs> I'm almost 50 and I still like, I'm just feel like I'm still, you know, 25 or 30, still trying to figure out my life. So I would say that I've kind of been on a lifelong quest to kind of figure out, like, what am I good at? What do I want to do? What's satisfying to me in life? In that process, one of the big things I had to grapple with was Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a very, um, a family that's very steeped in it. And... That was a very big part of my growing up. It was sort of part of my identity, and yet it was a part that never totally stuck in a way that I could make sense for, for me. And so I would say that's kind of forced me to go through the whole process of, of figuring out who I am and how I look at things and how does the world make sense to me and how do I make sense of the world and how do I decide certain things and how do I make certain choices and how do I make commitments? Do I make commitments uh -huh. based on what my subculture says or do I make choices based on who's going to smile or frown or be like, oh, I don't know where you're going to end up if you believe that or don't do this. So I really feel like just that grappling and that being learning to live with the different tensions, um, figure things out. I have a lot of compassion and empathy for that process because mm. I spent a lot of time in it. I don't know yeah. that I'm ever going to be done with it. I would say I've got a lot more clarity now than I had before. And yet I still feel like I have a long way to go. And then, you know, I can have the negative voices or critic in the back of my head saying, come on, man, you should have this figured out by now. Yeah. And learning to just say, well, I, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best not to listen to that voice because it doesn't serve me. Yeah. Even if it's true, <laughs> well, right. like now what, you know, you should have figured this out. Okay. Right. Well, let's really, let's really live into that. <laughs> that doesn't take me anywhere. It doesn't serve me. That's what I would say. So I feel like I've kind of covered a lot of different places of it, but feel free to refocus me or dig a little deeper in one of those areas. Yeah, it sounds like an acceptance of and a recommitment to the struggle to learn and to grow has been a big part of it for you. Yeah, and to the uniqueness of me. Like, this is me. Yeah. Like, full stop. Not like, right. this is me and there's something wrong with me that I didn't hear Jesus talk to me today or I don't feel like God has led me to do something. There's, I tried all this stuff and it didn't work. So yeah. <laughs> does that mean it's not true? No, I'm not saying that, but it's, in this moment, it's not true for me. Right. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong or broken with me. It just means that this is where I'm at. And how can I remain open? How can I continue to explore? How can I be aware of my biases and my wounds and, yeah, the things that get in my way? Yeah. So it sounds like for you, it starts with um, accepting who you are now so that you can 
you can focus on what was it that you said on learning the things that you want to learn. I don't think that's exactly what you said. Yeah, I don't it's or maybe it's just a I guess what I really enjoy my work with the people that I do coaching with is is really leaning in and helping them lean in to really accept them for who they like accept them as they are. Yeah. And and like one of the really core tenets of my coaching training is this notion that that everyone is creative, they're resourceful, and they're whole. Okay. My background would say, well, you can't be whole because we're all sinful. We're all right. broken. So right. you can't really trust yourself because, I mean, that part of you is broken. Yeah. Which that could be a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but hold it. But like to your whole thing about, you know, is everyone always 100% the thing they're committed to? No. Right. Are we yeah. always like 100% resourceful? No. Are we always yeah. 100% creative? No. Are we always 100% whole? No. But if we hold that mindset towards ourselves and towards others, what's possible? Yeah. So what is the, for you, what motivates you? You know, what, what I think the question, the question I have is you, you talked about that struggle away from Christianity, specifically maybe as an example of struggling towards your ability to accept yourself. What was the motivation for that? Was there a, was there an experience or a, just kind of a general um, emotional pain that you had or what? Well, I was in a relationship that was headed in a certain direction that I realized that was very involved in Christianity. And I realized that I couldn't fully embrace it in the same yeah. way that this other person did. And I was like, okay, this is telling me something. So I ended the relationship. And then I, I had been, I was about five years into my career and there's this place called Labrie Fellowship in Switzerland. They also have branches in Massachusetts and a few other places in the world. And their whole, it's a Christian organization, but their whole notion is, honest answers to honest questions. And yeah. it's, it's a very open place. They, they have perspectives and they take stands on certain things, but it's not, it wasn't like your typical, like the evangelical subculture that I grew up in, which was like, you need to believe this or you're hosed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you have to do these things or you're going to be in big trouble. It was, yeah. it was a much more, you know, where are you coming from? What are you thinking? Where, where, do, how do you put this together? So that, I think that's kind of where that was, I guess that was part of the awakening of like, wait a minute, if, if I commit to this course in my life, this is going to take me in a certain direction. And it's, it doesn't totally resonate with me in a way that I think is going to, that I'm going to be able to like embrace long-term. And then where would that leave me? Okay. This doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. And so that, I think that kind of sent me on the path of, okay, well, let me figure out what I do believe. Let me, do I hang on to this? Do I throw it all away? Do I only keep part of it? And yeah, I, I'm still on that path. But I think yeah. I've also come to a place of not being so worried about figuring it out tomorrow. Right. Yeah, it sounds like it challenges that you've overcome. Yeah. And so I think that has also helped inform my work around coaching, which is, helping people figure out what they want. Like, who are they? What do they want to do? Where they're not, in other words, it was the same, I guess I was, I was dissatisfied with my beliefs and with this thing that was supposed to be amazing and was supposed to work in wonderful ways that I didn't feel like was working that way for me. So in the same way, people with their lives are like, you know, I want to be more satisfied. I want this to work. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to feel like I'm contributing. So I guess in the same way, I enjoy really going deep with people and helping to figure those things out. Yeah. Awesome. Cause it sounds like, Hey, I was dissatisfied in my life and then I wrestled with these things. And now when I compare where I'm at to, to where I was, I'm using the word I, but I'm talking about you. So that's weird. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you know, now it sounds like you're a lot more satisfied. Yes. And I would also say that it's not perfect either. Like right. there, there are different, um, Gradations or degrees. 
You can be satisfied with imperfection. Yes, well put. Well put. And on that note, maybe that makes for a good place to end here. An imperfect, imprecise ending, but in a way that we should probably wrap up. What The last question I would have for you, and you could have a last question for me if you like, is if someone was interested in doing an experience like you did, how would they go about finding it? And I'm not asking you to promote the one that you did. If you want to, you can. But is there like a general place that people would look to have an experience like this? Uh, the the organization that I did my vision fast with is called the School of Lost Borders. Um, and you can easily find them on Google. Uh, and they are a f- fantastic group of people. You know, it's not a big organization. They probably less than a dozen people work for them. But um, the guides that went with us and the emotional wisdom that they brought was phenomenal. I, I could not recommend them more highly. You know, if, if you can spare two weeks of your life to do some deep soul searching, that I think is a great way to do it. All right. So I guess one last question as we wrap up, Michael, where could people learn more about you, follow you, what you're up to, your podcast, anything you want to share with people to get more Michael? Yeah, I have been publishing the podcast on Anchor, which releases it to a, a number of platforms, um, Spotify and uh, and a few other places. You can definitely find it there. But um, if you are interested in a certain topic or want to share your experience, I would love to speak with you um, either off or on the show. Uh, and you can visit my website, deadmansforest.org where not only can you download all of the episodes, but there's a contact form at the bottom. Um, Kind of the lifeblood of the show is the conversation and the wisdom and knowledge that everybody has. So I, you know, I would love to talk to you as well and, and um, hear about your experiences in your life. Beautiful. I think I heard a bird there. There was a bird there. (laughs) I love it. We just made this work. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but it you know what? Perfect. I think it was good. Yeah, I really enjoyed myself. So thanks so much too. for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates.